Hey guys. So when we first recorded this episode, we made an error. We mentioned an artist, but we actually named the wrong artist. Thankfully, he's a super nice guy. He let us know and we got that fixed up. So check out his Etsy page. His name's Ryan Radecki. We'll include a link in the description. Because if you love local drinks, make sure you're supporting local art too. And on that note, we hope you enjoy this episode of Drink Casey. What's up, Kansas City drinkers? We're back with another episode of the Drink KC podcast. I'm Roxy. I'm Corey. And today we're talking about Amagoni Winery. And this is the last stop on our West Bottoms round. So if you've been listening in, uh, we've done an episode on Stockyards Brewing Company, West Bottoms Whiskey Co., and today is Amagoni Winery. Amagoni Winery is an urban winery. You might be wondering what urban winery means. So most wineries, if you know anything about grapes, they take like a lot of space. Vines need a lot of room to grow and all that stuff. So a lot of wineries are kind of located out in the country. And Amagoni, their whole focus is they really want to be part of Kansas City. This started by Michael and Carrie Amagoni. And Michael comes from a large Italian family. His grandfather came over in the 1920s, mm-hmm. I believe. He came from Milan and moved to Illinois. Yeah, so he was like a construction guy, but he had like this big dump truck, basically. And he would use that to grab the grapes from their rail yard. Apparently all like the local Italian-American families made their own wine. Yeah. So they brought it to them. So we actually got to sit down with Michael and learn a lot of this firsthand, where this is the first sort of interview we've ever done if you even want to call it that it was more of a conversation i really liked doing it this way because you got to sit down with the winemaker and really like just let him talk about something that he's super passionate about we i think we were kind of just expecting a tour and for them to take the time to do this like personal meeting with us so that we we could kind of pick his brain a little bit it was it was very cool yeah so Michael always, uh, I guess he's always really loved growing things. I think his actual degree is more in like business related stuff, but he's done home winemaking. He said he's been drink like tasting wine in his big Italian family since he was like five or yeah. something. Yeah, that was cool. See, I wish that I'd had that same experience because my family's Italian and I really wish that I had grown up with wine being a part of our family get togethers and stuff like that. But I remember trying wine when I was like six and my parents had Franzia (laughs) and my dad was like, do you want to try this? I was like, yeah, sure. And I remember running to the bathroom after having a little sip and like trying to wipe the taste out of my mouth and like running the water. (laughs) Sounds like a great start. Yeah. To be fair, Franzia box wine is sort of like the McCormick's whiskey of <laughs> wine <laughs> to draw a comparison. <laughs> it's not a good start. Yeah, that's that's rough. So anyway, <laughs> he grew up drinking wine and then he's always loved growing things. So he started with home winemaking and he did my dream, which was he... They planted 40 Cabernet Franc vines just in their backyard in Leewood, Kansas. Then they kind of expanded it. Uh, They bought some land in Centerview, Missouri, and they started adding other vines like um, Viognier, Chardonnay, Cabernet Sauvignon, Petit Bordeaux, and they started selling commercially in 2006. After a while, they realized if they were going to keep growing, they were going to need to source grapes 
to like meet the demand. So they bring in grapes from the Lodi area of California and they started at about 300 cases production and now they're over 4,500 cases. You actually don't get a feel for it until you walk in and you're like, there's just stacks of boxes and cases on pallets and like this place makes a lot of wine and it goes really fast yeah because they'll point it out and just be like yeah this is you know a month and you're like holy cow that's a lot of wine that's i was very happy i just walked in the room and i was like i am so happy to be surrounded by this much wine it's it's my it was my happy place so while we were there he went into a little bit about the winemaking process and and how he likes to make wine. And that's by using Vitus vinifera vines, which are traditional European grape vines. Like your Chardonnays, your Cab Sauv, your Cab Fra. It's the things that you have heard of, probably. And Amagoni is the only winemaker in Missouri doing that exclusively. In Missouri, a lot of Missouri winemakers grow grapes in Missouri, which is really cool, but it's really difficult to grow grapes in Missouri because growing vines like that takes three or more years. So you've got to get through three Missouri winters. And if you survive February here, you can you would know that that sucks. Yeah. And not all traditional wine grapes can survive. Yeah, Vitus... Hence why they source some of their grapes. Yeah, Vitus vinifera are a more fragile category of grapes, so they don't handle this climate very well. So that's why most people that have wineries in Missouri use these hardier grapes that aren't as world-renowned, but they are actually able to handle the weather a lot better. Hmm. But it was really interesting because I had noted a while ago, like kind of when we first started this podcast, I think, I feel like a lot of smaller wineries in Missouri, they tend to do more sweeter wines. And I don't know why that is. So Michael was telling us that these hardier grapes that can survive our climates here are generally a little more acidic. And so uh, a lot of winemakers need to add some more sugar to offset that so they're actually drinkable. So I was like, oh, I wasn't just crazy. That's why they tend to be sweeter. Yes. I mean, I am Even the drier wines tend to still be a little sweet. Yeah. So we asked him why, if they're so hard to grow here... Why Vitus vinifera? And he said part of it is he's, you know, he's got this Italian family and that's a big thing for him. So he wanted to make traditional Italian wines. And he also said you want to make wine that you'd like to drink yourself. And Cabernet Franc, I think, is what he said his favorite wine is. Mm -hmm. Uh, But those are just the wines that he gravitates towards. So those are the ones he wanted to make. So it's interesting when you think about wine and spirits, beer not as much, um, the time commitment this takes. When they had started, it takes three years to get a harvestable crop from your grapes in the first place. Then on top of that, they age most of their wines for 18 months. So you are committing to something that is five years away to be like, I want to start this. And in five years, you finally get to enjoy the fruits of your labor. And that's a lot longer than I have the patience for. (laughs) And so their other thing is they they really like to stay local whenever possible. So their their wines are aged in Missouri American white oak barrels. It imparts like a little bit of that vanilla flavor. The, uh, The other thing we learned during that was you think of aging whiskey is usually how like I would picture aging alcohol. 
When you age wine, they don't use charred barrels. They used... Toasted. Toasted. That was the word. Yes. And so they actually have a description. And if you look at our Instagram, we'll throw the picture up there. You can see the difference. And how the charred barrels that you would picture for whiskey impart all this color and flavor, whereas the toasted barrels are a much more subtle, like very low key flavor and not a whole lot of color, Mm -hmm. which I thought was really interesting. So we asked him how his business has been affected from COVID because, you know, we know that has been this huge thing for businesses. And it sounds like their only downer is they haven't been able to do events and they do like weddings and corporate events usually so that's been a problem but i believe they said their wine sales actually went up yeah they had also talked about uh doing direct sales so if you go to their website you can just buy a bottle or a case or however much you want off of their website uh since COVID, i believe they're doing free shipping even better. It was interesting talking to him about that too, sort of his mentality when it came to shipping wine rather than distribution, because he, they do do some distribution in Kansas and Missouri, like liquor stores and grocery mm. stores and stuff like that. But it sounds like they're really much more interested in just doing the direct shipping thing. Yeah, which is smart. Like he explained how the distribution process works and The long and short of it is that if you're going to pay all this money to have pallets of your product shipped out and just thrown on a shelf somewhere and nobody's actually going to pay attention to what it is, is that really even better for your business? And that's something you don't really consider because you get so used to big brands being on shelves because that's how they operate. But getting into more of a, a piece by distribution, I think, is a really smart move for a lot of these smaller drinkeries in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really smart that they were doing that. So their bottling is done three times a year. And it's literally a guy that I think he brings the equipment on a truck or it's in a trailer or something. But it's he literally drives it and he comes three times a year and they just do all their bottling. And I think he said it's like a thousand cases, which is a lot. That's, that's- what I remember it being anyway. I think it's cool how businesses get created by other businesses. So like small wineries and distilleries will be like, well, we don't want to afford our own bottling service. We don't, we can't afford our own HR department. We can't afford our own marketing department. So they hire all these outside companies that are kind of just businesses to support those businesses, which Mm -hmm. is a really neat concept. Yeah. So One of my favorite parts, because in my day job, I'm an engineer, so I like seeing the process and the machinery and kind of all that. So we got to go back into the room to see the actual process. We saw the mashing machine. It was huge. We've got a picture of that included in our Instagram posts about this and Twitter. So that's really cool. And then you see all of the, the tanks. When we got to the back room... Corey was totally in his element because it was like production, science. So they have all this equipment, they have the masher, they have these fermentation tanks. The other thing that I thought was cool, I imagine a barrel full of liquid is probably pretty heavy. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't really considered how they stack these up, probably 20 feet high. So not only do you have to have this sort of artist's mindset, But you also have to have this chemistry, this scientific background. You also have to have somebody with a forklift license. And what did he say? People asked him, it's like, if you want to become a winemaker, what do you need? Like, what is the, what are the qualities you need to be a winemaker? And he was like, you need to be able to work a forklift. Yeah. (laughs) 
So then we got some wines and they were awesome. And we didn't record a whole thing to do a tasting of the stuff we had there, but we did have one and it was so good. We just bought a bottle of it. And that is the barrel aged Chardonnay. You are the wino. Mm-hmm. And this is a wine that could make me a wino. I'm a really big fan of Chardonnay. Chardonnay has always been my favorite white because a lot of white wines seem like they're trying to be sweet, but they're not. They're like an unripe apple. And it's it's growing on me. The taste is growing on me for sure. But the thing I love about Chardonnays is they're buttery. They're not trying to be sweet. They're just unabashedly not sweet. So anyway, this I really think might be one of, if not the best Chardonnay I've ever had. This is beyond wine. This is something else entirely, and I love it. Oh. I don't know what it is, because it's definitely wine, and it's amazing. It's wine plus. This is the premium subscription to wine. Yeah. So um, in case any of you were having any disillusions about our tastings being live, they're usually not. They're, they're usually something we already know we like. But we're still going to drink some. So I get, like, the lemongrassy... Mm, that on the nose very light lemon sweet a little bit of sweetness we had talked about it for the aging the caramel not sweet like caramel but like a it's a toasting a toasty yeah so this is amazing it's a little bit more like fruity and has a little bit of tartness the way they describe it too is it's got ripe golden apple and I think that's the perfect description. That's what hits me most. Mm-hmm. I think the barrel aging is, gives it a touch of smokiness that I really like. So one thing I was going to bring up about this is it is actually fermented in the barrel and rested on the lees for six months. I believe resting on the lees means that the natural yeast that's in the wine you're basically letting it chill there for six months just in the barrel with that yeast. Yeah. Where normally it would like you'd ferment it out first and right. then let it age. But this time they're letting it age with it and really giving it some depth. It's got an herbiness. It's also, I think, because of them doing the in-barrel fermentation. It kind of makes me think of how sour beers are made. So it's got a little bit of a funk to it, like yeah. a sour beer would. A little bit yeah. of a tang. Tang. That's a much better so, way of putting it. And it was funny. We were sitting there at Amagoni for like 20 minutes, I swear, trying to figure out what herb this tastes like. Could never pinpoint it. So we're just going to go with it's a general herbiness. Yes. To be fair, there's only grapes in this. So to say that it has a specific herb flavor to it isn't exactly necessary. <laughs> Which is kind of incredible when you just think about wine is that it's always pretty much just grapes. Yeah. When they can be this different. I'm fascinated. Something about the way the process of making it is, is these grapes impart all these different flavors that aren't just grapiness. Like I've had one or two wines that tasted like Welch's grape juice. And those were great. (laughs) They were fantastic. But to have like, this is a grape that tastes like apples and butterscotch and vanilla And here's a grape, well, a grape product. Here's a grape product that tastes like tobacco and leather and, you know, has smokiness to it. And it's all just the grape. It's really, it's a really cool process that I want to learn more about. Really, the reason I got into wine in the first place was I, well, the reason I first got into wine was I wanted to feel fancy. 
That's really all it was, is I wanted to feel fancy. So I went and got a charcuterie board and bought a $3 wine and sat with a candle lit by myself. And I was like, ooh, I'm so fancy. But the second reason was that it's so fascinating to me that there's all these different depths of flavor, kinds of flavor that can be experienced through wine. Mm -hmm. Plus drinking is a fun experience. So That's true. And the next time you want to go drinking... You should check out Amagoni Winery because they have a really nice winery as well as really nice wine. Yep. So Carrie, who's Michael's wife, Carrie Amagoni was the building manager um, for the Livestock Exchange Building, which we talked about with the Stockyards episode. That's where Stockyards Brewing is located now. So Amagoni actually had their first tasting room over in that building. And then she's the building manager and the owner also owns that building and the old Daily Drover Telegram building, which was a newspaper for the livestock trade. The newspaper ran for over 60 years there. So if you listen to our other episodes, the West Bottoms used to be where the stockyards were. It was all these trains and livestock kind of going through. It was a big industrial hub. So in 2012, Amagoni Winery uh, moved from the Livestock Exchange Building to the newly renovated Daily Drover Telegram Building. So that's where they are now. It's very like modern, but a touch of classical. And it's it's a really cool space. Mm-hmm. They've got a tasting room. They've got a barrel room and a patio. And it's a really elegant. Is that is that a good yeah, word? Yeah, it's, it's a very elegant space. Very beautiful and elegant while also being that cool, hip, industrial vibe to it. So it, when you go there, you should get a tasting. Yeah, and it's neat. They're small plates. They're kind of charcuterie stuff. They're all local. So they have cheese from the Green Dirt Farms in Western Missouri, which I really want to go to. Their bread is from Casey's Farm to Market Bread Company. And their spreads are from Casey Cannon Company. In addition to their cool charcuterie stuff, they also have pasta sauce that's made with their wine. So uh, whenever I drink wine, I get the drunchies really bad. So we got some of their pasta sauce on the way out, and it was fantastic. Yes, it was. I'll read you straight from the label. Their hunter-style cacciatore sauce prepared with peppers, onions, garlic, mushrooms, and sauve blanc to bring it all together. It and was it's so good. Excellent. So in their barrel room, you'll find quite a few barrels aging. They are actively aging wine. They're not just decoration. They also have a wine club complete with a wine library. Wine clubs are really cool. Usually what it is, is you pay a fee every month and then you get a bottle every month, maybe some other perks and stuff. So there's, they have a couple of different levels. And what they do is in June and November, you pick up a certain number of bottles, depending on whatever level you decide to be a part of. So there's four, six, or 12. So in June, you'll get four. In November, you'll get four or six or 12. So in addition to that, you get a discount on all your purchases there. You get exclusive access to members-only parties. And then the wine library is where they have vintages from past years that maybe they're not selling, like they're down to like the last few bottles. They put those past year vintages of their wines in this library and you only get access to get those if you're a wine club member, which I thought was so cool. Cause like with wine, especially, you know, we've talked about it, it takes a long time and 
you know, when they're growing for a few years, if the weather is really different in one of those years or a couple of those years than another one, the wine may taste really different, like a 2018 vintage and a 2019 vintage. I haven't explored that a lot, yeah, but I would really love to because, you know, it really affects the wine. So um, get yourself some wine, do a tasting. You can do it by the glass. You can buy some bottles there any day but Monday. Yep, they're and closed on Mondays, but they're open at least for some hours every other day. Yep, they have tours. So their tours are really cool. So they have these the regular tour of their winery. They also have two tours that I really want to check out. One is called Art of the Senses, which they help you experience wine in more than just the taste. So it's like the smell and the look of it, and they they lead you through that to experience wine on a deeper level. And then the other one is uh, that I found neat is their blending experience. And I think this might be on hold because it's more for like bigger parties. I think it's probably more for like corporate mm. events and stuff like that. But you can go and you form teams and you get to compete to make the best wine blend. And oh. then whoever gets the best wine blend gets to take a bottle home. Oh, that's cool. And I was that like, I really want to do that. Yeah. And it sounds like Art of the Senses would be perfect for me, since I'm yes. not a wine person. So it might be my foray into uh, appreciating wine better. Yes, we're working on you, though. Yeah, we're getting there. We're getting there. More of this Chardonnay, and you'll be all the way there. Yeah. <laughs> so um, the other thing we want to tell you about before we sign off is uh, their upcoming event. This is Sunday, March 14th, is a pairing with Girl Scout cookies. Yeah, so Sunday, March 14th. Go so, get some Girl Scout cookies and wine, which I can't think of a better combination. So be sure to check that out. <gasps> we never talked about the duck. Oh my God, we have to talk about so, the duck. Total, asi total aside before, before we leave. So Michael Amagoni has a friend, Ryan Radecki, who's an artist, he's a painter. Uh, he found out that Michael loves Gary Larson, who, if you don't know, makes these like comic illustrations of chickens and ducks and funny things. So at Amagoni Winery, they have a handful of these Gary Larson-esque paintings that Ryan has done. I don't know if any of them are customer facing. but I mean, the duck kind of is. The duck kind of is. So yeah, they've got a handful of paintings and they're all really cool. And they're in this really great comic book style. And then there's one very large duck just looming outside of one of the windows. And we had never noticed it until he pointed it out. And then as we're leaving, we're like, oh my goodness. He's like spying on you. It was it was so great getting to hang with Michael because by the time we were done with the like with the whole experience, he was like, "Okay, do you see this painting of a duck or of a chicken? The one that we saw was a chicken." He was like, "Hang on, I got to show this to you." And Ryan has actually done paintings that like incorporate things at the winery, like their high top table. So if you if you suffer from anatidophobia. Which is the fear that somewhere, somehow, a duck is watching you. Just know that in the parking lot of Amagoni Winery, it's true. So the only people that should not go to Amagoni Winery. Are those that suffer from anatidophobia. <laughs> and on that note. On that note. Go check out the duck. Go check out some great wines. Go check out some cool local food. And go experience some people that really are passionate about what they do. Absolutely. With that, I'm Corey. 
I'm Roxy, God help me. And we are your local amateur alcohol aficionados. And no matter what you're drinking, you should drink KC. We'll see you next time. Hey, Kansas City drinkers. Want to see pictures of all the coolest drinkeries in town or get previews of upcoming episodes? Then make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. And if you need or just prefer captions, check out our subtitled episodes available on YouTube. It's always more fun to drink KC when we all do it together. Cheers.